This morning we're continuing our series looking through the life of Joseph. Not Joseph, um, the, the husband of Mary, but, but Joseph from the Old Testament. The uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that Joseph. This morning uh, I want to start by, by just a simple reflection on comic books. As a child growing up, I wasn't much for reading. I didn't enjoy reading. It was a battle. Uh, I, I learned to read and I followed all the cues of my teachers to look for clues in the pictures and the context. Uh, and that would frustrate my mother no end because I didn't read the words, I read the pictures. And so I told my own story. So I loved comic books. Or for those of us who take it a little bit more serious, seriously, graphic novels and, and there are some wonderful moments that we find in these graphic novels these these little gems these nuggets of truth one of my favorites is from spider-man and it's that moment where he, he's confronted with the reality of his newfound special superpowers and he's told with great power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. It's a simple enough sentiment, but it's also very true. With great power, great authority comes great responsibility. It means that if you have the ability to do something good by virtue of a power or influence that you have, or an authority that you have, you have the responsibility to do it. <clears throat> responsibility isn't about doing the things that we feel like doing. It's about doing what needs to be done because I'm someone who can do it. This is a lesson that every parent, and perhaps I should have done this part of the message before we sent the kids out to Treasure Seekers. This is, this is a part that every parent wishes their children understood and came to grips with. When they've reached that age where they can see into the sink, when they're tall enough, they have the power within their body to stand tall enough to see the sink, when they have the ability to reach in and grab those dirty dishes and they have the understanding, the power of understanding to know what is the difference between clean and dirty and make that change, they have a responsibility to do it. They have the power and the ability and the responsibility as a part of a member of the family it's our responsibility to contribute to the needs of the family as we are able, as we have that power and authority. So you're with me. Great power, the capacity to wash and dry dishes comes great responsibility, the duty of cleaning the dishes when they need to be done. That's just a small and, and a, you know, somewhat insignificant thing to be responsible for. When I was a little boy, my favourite superhero was Superman. I had a cape that my mum had made me with the S on the front and I had this neat long sleeve shirt and instead of buttons it had clips. And so that made for a quick transition from being Clark Kent into Superman. Back then I didn't need to wear glasses to be able to see where I was going. 
um, would have been otherwise, like if it was today, I'd be somewhere across between Superman and Mr. Magoo. Uh, for those who know Mr. Magoo, you can't see two feet in front of him. I loved, I loved Superman and I loved to be able to pretend to be Superman because with all of Superman's powers, his speed, his strength, you know, his bulletproof abilities, he did good for other people. You know, and all the amazing things, he used all of his abilities always to help others and I really like that. So I want to, I want to give you a moment of reflection now. If you had one superpower, what would it be and why? If you had one superpower, what would it be and why? And I want you to share this to the person next to you or near you. So take a moment to think about what's your your one best superpower and why would you choose that one? Go. Does anyone want to share what their superpower is? You're going to have to use a loud voice. Teleportation, Teleportation and why? So you can get to work quicker and so you can get home quicker. That's right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Someone else? Intelligence. Now that would be a superpower and I don't think we need to know why. It's self-explanatory. Wisdom would be another one. Very good. Someone else? One more? We'll call that one evangelism. <laughs> hey, the gift of being someone like Billy Graham, to be able to express the word of God, the heart of God and the good news of Jesus in such a way that just comes with great power and authority. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Shirley. Now we're going to, as we, we look in, as we, we dive into Joseph's story, we're going to see that he had a, a superpower. He had a power that was given to him, an influence and an authority that was given to him by God. And we're going to see in, in the same way that we are also given a power and an authority by God uh, that is not our own, that goes beyond what we would normally be able to do uh, and how to, how to use that. And what it means for our life. So uh, let's, let's get a bit of context. So over the last few weeks, we've been following Joseph's life. We've seen how he was loved by his father, but hated by his brothers. How they sold him into slavery in Egypt. How as a slave, God used him and grew him, in him a gift of administration. Anyone have administration as their superpower? No? No one wanted administration. Okay. We've seen how despite Joseph's faithfulness, he was wrongfully imprisoned and forgotten. And last week, we saw how God continued to use Joseph even in prison and how he was freed from prison in order to interpret Joseph, uh, Pharaoh's dreams. The interpretation was a prophecy that there would be seven years of abundance of harvest in Egypt, followed by seven years of severe famine. Pharaoh's response was swift and decisive. 
And we pick up our story in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41. Genesis 41, verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You want to talk about great authority? In that moment, Joseph went from being a servant within the prison to the second in charge bearing the signet ring of Pharaoh himself, meaning that he had the authority of Pharaoh. The only person who could tell Joseph at this point what to do or how to do it was Pharaoh. No one had more authority. No one had more power. No one had more influence over uh, Egypt other than Pharaoh except for Joseph. So that's the level that we, we see Joseph in. He's gone from being uh, unkempt and unshaven and, and dirty and, and just disheveled to being this, as we've, we've so often uh, heard him characterized, the prince of Egypt. With great power and great authority comes great responsibility. We pick up again in verse 44. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. So in, 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 in a lot of ways, Pharaoh is saying, Joseph, you run the country. I'm going to reserve the right if I need to, to overrule you, but I want you to take care of everything. You remember that last week, at the end of last week's passage, we saw that Pharaoh asked the question of all those around him, who has in them the spirit of Yahweh like this man, Joseph? No one. And that's why, why Pharaoh put him in charge, because he saw the, saw the authority in which, with which Joseph spoke. Not his own authority, but God's authority, and so he put him in charge. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, Zaphonath Paneah. Zaphonath Paneah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt unprecedented power and authority given to Joseph by Pharaoh. Pharaoh entrusted the entire future of Egypt into the hands of a servant in the prison. Can you imagine that? Like we, we often gloss over some of these things like Pharaoh has put all of the prosperity of Egypt into the hands of a bloke who's just been dragged out of jail. A bloke who he didn't know from a bar of soap. If we were citizens of Egypt, would you be worried? Would you be concerned? 
You know, so often in life we're confronted with situations that uh, decisions that are made by governments and by powers that be that just don't make sense. And often they, they don't. But there is one truth that remains. A truth that we have seen all throughout this series. That God has a plan. And that God, Yahweh, is in control. Just like we, we, we experienced today, so did the people of Egypt experience that, that there are times where, where God works in ways that we don't understand, ways that don't make sense to us, uh, times where we go through hardships like Joseph did. And we wonder why, why God? And like Joseph, we need to trust that God knows. He has a plan and he is still in control. So Joseph at this moment has been given unprecedented power. And you know, like Joseph, today we also have been given power and authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19, we read, Jesus told his disciples and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's one thing for Pharaoh to say, all authority in all of Egypt rests in my hands. Now Joseph, you go and you make us prosper and you make us survive the seven years of famine that is still to come. That gets trumped when Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now with that authority, with that anointing, with that commissioning, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to simply go and, and get people to pray a sinner's prayer. He doesn't want people to just make a once-off decision to say, yeah, following God sounds like a good idea today. He wants us to make disciples, to make followers of Jesus. People who will lay down their life beforehand to follow him. That, that will give up, that will surrender and sacrifice everything else that, that, that has been in their life up to this point and follow Jesus with everything they've got. Glenn Sher just shared just earlier in, in communion that illustration of leaving what's behind because it wasn't built for who you are going to be. And I, I like that illustration because you know, it, it, it's very much what the heart and the nuts and bolts of following Jesus is about. You know, if, if I go to a, a nutritionist and say, look, I am woefully unfit... I am overweight. I need you to help me. They're going to tell me that I need to change my diet. Not just for a day or a week, but for the rest of my life. 
They're going to tell me you're going to need to exercise your body and that exercise is going to be uncomfortable and that exercise is going to hurt and it's, you're going to be feeling pain and, and the next day and the day after that, your legs are going to be sore, your back's going to be sore, your arm's going to be sore. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. But you can't go back to your habits that you used to have. Because you're not going to have a healthy life. You're not going to have a healthy body. And we've got no issue with saying, I get that. I, you know, if I, if I want to have a healthy body and if I want to be fit, then I've got to leave that stuff behind. Well, the gospel, what Jesus is saying when he says, go and make disciples. He's saying, I want you to go and teach them that the fullness of life the hope, the peace, the joy, the love that we know in Christ can only be known fully if we leave our, our sinful, selfish lives behind. If we take our sin and we say, I, I'm not going to dwell there anymore. Instead, I'm going to pursue the righteousness and holiness of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. And that's what we're called to make as we share the gospel, as we share the good news, not in our own power and strength, not with our own authority, but with the authority of Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth, we are commissioned to do that. In John 14, 12, he, he said, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What a promise. You know, we often look back to the, the miracles that Jesus performed, the, the lame that were made well, the blind that could see, the dead that were raised, the sick that were healed. And Jesus promises us here in John 14 verse 12 that we will do and we will see even greater things. But let us, let us not be short-sighted to measure greater things in the eyes of men let us lift our eyes to the plans of God the desires of God the purpose of God his his kingdom plan to see the greater things Jesus was able to walk amongst few for a short period of time how much greater is it now that we have the church spreading across the globe, going into the far reaches, the far corners to demonstrate the love of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, Paul explains how God's power works in us. And he, he, he starts with this ode to God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All authority has been given to Jesus and in turn he has commissioned us as his church, as his children with his authority to carry out his work. And in doing so, we will see greater things, greater miracles, because Jesus' ministry was just simply limited to three years. Now he's handed the work on to us. 
But what kind of things can we expect? Paul tells us, greater than we can even ask or imagine. Greater than we can ask or imagine. Think about that for a minute. Let that, that sit. Let that wrestle and, and feel uncomfortable in your mind for a minute. Because we can imagine a lot of things and we get cranky at God when the things that we imagine, the outcomes we desire, don't happen. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes when he sold into slavery. How, how, how much he desired to be able to return home to his father. Yet God said no. Yet God said, no, Joseph, I have, have something else for you to do. When he, when he was wrongfully imprisoned, how, how much he desired to, to be set free from that bondage, to be set free from that slavery, to go home, to be with his father. But God said, no, Joseph, I have other things in store for you. We, we saw last, a couple of weeks ago, when he said to the cupbearer, remember me when you're back with Pharaoh, that I may be set free and return to my family. And God said, no, Joseph, I have other things. And when the time came two years later, and he stood before Pharaoh and he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh says, Joseph, I want you to look after all of Egypt. I want you to take care of this. I want you to work out what God has foretold to you or shown you through my dreams. I want you to put that into practice. I want you to administer everything here in Egypt. Did Joseph just say, look, Pharaoh, thanks, really appreciate it. Um, can I put you down as a reference on my resume? But for right now, I just want to head home. No, no, because God was ready to do immeasurably more than Joseph could ask or imagine. If he went back to his family right then and there, there's no guarantee that anything would have changed. There's no guarantee that there would be a resolution in, in the relationship between he and his brothers. In fact, things could have gotten a whole lot worse, but God has a plan and God remains in control. At the height of the slave trade, who could have imagined that someday slave trade would be broadly considered abusive and horrible treatment? At the height of the Second World War, who could have imagined that Germany in all its strength with its superior technology and weapons, would be defeated. Yet when it comes to eternity, when it comes to God's creation and God's plan for salvation and the redemption of all things, these are just, as they say, small potatoes. So just imagine, just imagine for a minute what God can do through you with you if you are willing to lay down yourself Moses would later um, long after this story of Joseph long after Joseph's death 
Moses would come to a point where God said, Moses, I want to use you. And he'd say, no, God, you can't. You know, I have a stutter. I can't speak clearly. There's no way you can use me. God said, Moses, it's not your power that I need to use. It's my power at work within you. So take your staff and put it on the ground. The staff turned into a snake. He said, now pick it up. I don't know about you. I'm not overly keen on snakes. So that would, we would have had a conversation. I would have had a conversation with God at that point. <laughs> but he picked it up and it turned back into a staff. He said, Moses, put your hand into your cloak and take it out. And it came out and it was leprous. And he said, Moses, put your hand back into your cloak. And he did. And it came out and it was healed. All of this was to show Moses and to remind Moses with what authority and what power he was being anointed with to go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. In the same way, God has sent us with all authority and all power, just like Joseph, to enable and to enact his plan, his salvation plan for redemption. All it takes is the willingness on our part to surrender. To surrender our desires, to surrender our security, to surrender our freedoms, to surrender our hopes, our dreams, to surrender our our sinful temptations and say, God, I want to follow you. Just imagine what it would be like to be able to be on the front lines and see God doing the impossible. Not, to be, not to, to be able to gloat and say, look what I just did. But to be able to say, my God, you are incredible. When Moses stood before Pharaoh each and every time and confronted Pharaoh with the 10 plagues that that defied the the 10 major gods of Egypt. I just see a heart of worship in Moses saying, my God, you are incredible. What a joy and a privilege it is to have that authority. But with authority comes responsibility. The next thing we see is that uh, faithfulness to God's calling in the good times. Verse 46 of Genesis chapter 41. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the city. In each city, he put a food uh, grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Joseph named his first son uh, Manasseh. And he said, he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim. 
and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. For the first seven years, Joseph continually worked diligently. He didn't take for granted the abundance of food. He didn't call for an endless banquet. He, he carefully and methodically followed God's instructions that he had given him. He stored away the grain and made preparations for the hard times to come. But in all of it, he never forgot who was really in control. We see in the birth of his sons, Joseph never forgets that it is God who is in control. Joseph honors God with everything he has, with his attitude, with his work, with his family, all through the good times. He also honors him through the hard times. Verse 53, then seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. The seven years of famine began, and as Joseph had said, there was a famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Wouldn't that be nice? Not my problem. Go see Joseph. He's got it in control. You see, we don't know what kind of engagement Pharaoh had with Yahweh. We don't know if, if he became a follower and a believer of Yahweh. But what we do see is that he had faith in Joseph and he had faith in Joseph's God. He surrendered all of Egypt to Joseph, a Hebrew, mind you, a Hebrew, an immigrant, a slave, he surrendered all of Egypt, all of its prosperity to Joseph. To a lesser man, they would have taken advantage and, and built for them, amassed for themselves wealth beyond measure. But Joseph sees it as an opportunity to serve God. The seven years of abundance. So, so Pharaoh says, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Verse 56. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and, the, and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Can you see? God has a plan that is immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. For Joseph, even at that moment of revealing the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream to him, not could he have imagined how severe the famine would be. He couldn't have imagined that, that he would be put in a place to serve the whole entire world, to make provisions of food for all the world, that all the world would be blessed through Joseph. But isn't that what God promised Abraham? At least in part, we know that, that the greater fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham is in Jesus. But all the world is being blessed because of Joseph's faithfulness and Joseph's diligence. Joseph honoured God with integrity through the hard times. 
when, when people were coming to Joseph in desperate need, he didn't falter. He acted with gentleness and compassion, with diligence and integrity. When we're going through tough times, it's often hard to see how anything good can come of it. It's hard to see how God could possibly turn our situation around. When Joseph is waiting seemingly endlessly in prison, there's no way he could fathom the good that could come of him being in Egypt. We're talking 15, 17 years later. He's standing there. Maybe 20 years later in the middle of this famine. He's standing there. Seeing the whole world be fed because God has provided. And I'll bet within his heart he's saying, my God, you're incredible. Joseph shows us that whether, the, whether we're in good times or hard times, God has a plan. A plan that is far greater, far more fantastic and wonderful than we could imagine. God gave Joseph a gift. He gave him faith. He gave him administration and he gave him wisdom. And Joseph used those gifts to glorify God. God has given us also gifts, gifts of his spirit as a body of Christ. He's given us freedom from sin. He's shown us how to properly define peace, not as the absence of conflict and chaos, but of the security in the midst of it, the refuge, the fortress that God himself is for us. He shows us what love is. Not self-serving, but sacrificial. These gifts give us great power and authority. And with that comes the responsibility to make that love known. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Joseph had gained his freedom. He gained all the power in Egypt and he chose to serve. God has given us the ability also to be heroes, to save the lost, to comfort the hurting, to heal the brokenhearted. We have a choice. We have a responsibility. Will we choose to be limited by our own abilities, our own fears and anxieties? To be limited by our own imagination? Or, or will we have the courage like Joseph to trust God for the impossible beyond imagination? And when we think of superheroes... We often think of their bold and loud actions. The way they arrive on the scene says, I'm here. Look at me. See how great I am and see what I'm about to do. That wasn't Joseph's way and it's not God's way either. It'd be so easy for us when we see a problem in life, a problem in our society, to be loud and vocal and to point out all the flaws but that's not always God's way either. 
A wise man once gave me some very good counsel when I was trying to address a very significant and important issue. And he said this, he said, Nick, it's not what, just what you do that's important. It's not just what you do that's important, but how you do it. You know, we, we've been given this authority and we've been given this responsibility to go into all the world and make disciples with God's authority and God's power. But often we do that in an abrasive way. God says, that's, that's not my way. How we do it is just as important as what we do. Paul gives us a, a similar counsel here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 from verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect come, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now... We see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. We have been given a great gift in Jesus Christ. We've been given incredible authority, incredible power. But with that comes an incredible responsibility. Before, Paul, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, but now I'm a man, I've given up my childish ways. As Christians, we say, before I, I was a sinful man, Sin ruled in my heart, it ruled in my mind, it ruled in my life. But now in Christ Jesus, I am made new. I have given up my sinful ways, my sinful desires. I am in Christ, I am in Christ's love and I live that love out. We have a responsibility to make disciples of all the world. But it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. 
with love, with gentleness, with compassion, remembering that but for the grace of God and His work in our lives, we ourselves are the worst of sinners. So what will you do with your authority? What will you do with God's unfailing love? What will you do with his power and his grace? Will you stand up to the responsibility? Will you give yourself fully to serve him, to surrender to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come this morning grateful that you are who you are, almighty, your creator, redeemer. You are loving and gracious and kind. You are gentle and, and patient. Lord, as we follow you, as we desire to know you and know your love, Lord, we ask that you would transform us day by day. Lord, when we can't be gentle, when we can't be patient, when we don't have the strength to hold our words, Lord, would you be sufficient for us, we pray. Lead us in your ways, that your glory may be seen, and we may see you do the incredible. My God, how incredible you are. Amen.